Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Church London. You're listening to a message given on a Sunday morning. If you'd like to know more about us and the life of the church, please visit trinitychurchlondon.com. We're in 1 Corinthians and we're in this uh, next passage now. And um, just to take us back to the city of Corinth, it, it was an amazing city. And if you know Greece at all, it kind of sits on this very short little spit of land that's about four miles wide. And it kind of splits Greece into two parts. The south part, it could look like an island, except it's not, but it almost could be. And Corinth sits on this four mile spit of land. And today, back in the 1800s, late 1800s, they actually finished a canal that went the four miles from one sea to the other so that transport didn't have to do the 170 whatever it was miles around the south coast, but actually could just cut straight through. The amazing thing, to my mind anyway, is that the Corinthians were planning this canal back in Paul's day. Like, so in the first century, they were trying to work out how they could establish this canal. And one of the managers of the canal today in The Guardian, I think, was writing about the engineering feat it was back in the 1800s. Like, it was exceptional that it was done in the 1800s. Yet 2,000 years ago, they were planning this canal which I think says something of this city, right? It says something of the kind of ambition, the gifts, the talents, the engineering skill that they had, that they were thinking this was possible and they were trying to get it done. Corinth was one of those cities like London that attracted people with gifts and talents and leadership and ambition and people who wanted to be about life. And what happened because of that is that the kind of celebrity culture emerged where those who had gifts and intellect and leadership and those who could do public speaking, they were kind of elevated to a kind of separate place. And they were the ones who were esteemed. Back in their day, the celebrities were like, if you mashed up an academic and Michael McIntyre, if you put those two people together, you kind of had like the celebrities of the day. And so they esteemed these people. And it meant that if you were attached to one of these kind of public speakers, philosophers, religious leaders, academics, if you knew them or if you were attached to them, your position in the city grew. Like I'm friends with so-and-so. Do you know I actually met someone who knows X, Y and Z? And we do this still today with celebrities, right? I mean, I'm a, I'm a proper sucker, right, for celebrities. <laughs> this last week, we were walking past the Palladium where they're filming BGT, and it was, I don't really even watch it, but I do know that Bruno's one of the new judges. So Troy and I were walking past, literally where Bruno was getting out of the car when all the crowds and the lights and there's going, ooh. And I was like getting excited. I was like, there's Bruno. And he had this like funny frilly vest on and he was giving it all the Bruno stuff. And I was like, this is quite exciting. Like, and so obviously sending the photos, sending it to my family, making out that we're now best friends. Cause you know, it's like, it's, and I was like, how weird it is that like, I don't know that I'm not that interested in BGT or Bruno or anything like that, but I come close to this kind of celebrity and I feel like, hey, look, I feel something kind of, some esteem grow. I need to share it with my family. This is what was going on in the city of Corinth. Actually, I'm attached to this person. I I know this person. I'm on the inside with so-and-so. And what was happening is if I was with this person, I was with this group, People were beginning to look down on others. This kind of sense of superiority because of the people I associate with, the company that I'm with, 
the job that I have gives me a sense of superiority over other people. And this, sadly, was creeping into the church. And so Paul, when he writes this, he talks about these four groups. Because he, he, he says in verse 11, he says, It's been reported to me, he's probably in Ephesus at the time, to me by Chloe's people that there is quarrelling among you. See, what I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul. Some of you says, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. And what he's doing is really highlighting these four different attitudes. People were attaching themselves to these different personalities. And it would be nice to say, like, all oh, those silly Corinthians, because they were like getting their identity from being part of this group, or having this. I think actually when you follow these four groups, what you realise is there's not much new under the sun. And the attitudes that they had in the first century Corinth were actually very similar to some of the issues that we deal with in our hearts that actually can cause disunity. It would be nice to consign disunity, disunited churches to the past. But if anyone's been in church for two and a half minutes, or you've just been with another person in one room for two and a half minutes, you will know that when two people get together, what happens? There is a little bit of tension sometimes, right? Even with your best friends, even with those you're married with, even those who I'm really close. It's like there's these, it's just part of life. And so Paul lays out these four kind of, I want to say attitudes, because to call them groups would be like, well, I'm not part of that group. But actually, when you come underneath the group and you think these are attitudes, it actually begins to land a little bit more pertinently. So what are these four like attitudes? The first is this, is the attitude that says, I follow Paul. What is this? Paul started the church in Corinth. He was the founder he was the originator of the church. And it seems like there were some in the church in Corinth who were like, you know, this leadership team's okay. They're fine. But I knew Paul when it was just a few of us and we would have dinner together and he would like pray for me. Like he baptized me or he led me to Christ. Or, and I remember in the good old days when Paul did it correctly, like this leadership team, they're like, all right, all right. But, you know, I remember I, I've got a connection with Paul. It's the nostalgic bunch. Those who remember the good old days. Anyone? I remember I, the first church that I pastored was in Kingston in southwest London. And I turned up as a 25 year old, looking about 11 and a half at the time. Uh, amazingly, and the church was like the youngest person was probably 58. I don't think I'm even lying. 60, 70, 80. We had a 90 year old, Olive, who was deaf. If there was a two minute silence or one minute before we started praying, she'd be like, I can't hear you. So we're not saying anything, Olive. We literally, that'd be every service, like, let's pray. I can't hear you. It's because we're not saying anything, Olive. It's fine. She'd sit on the front row on the left. And I remember coming to the church and looking around and out the side of the back of the church, there were all these tombstones of the previous ministers, which was quite ominous to me. I was like, <laughs> don't like that sermon into the tombstone there wasn't that but and, and down you know if you've been to old traditional churches the names of the ministers in august writing you know 1852 to 18 whatever down this list and there was high coming in and what i faced week after week was this is not like how it used to be you're not wearing the right clothes 
you're not got the pulpit in the right place, you're not standing in the right place, you're not doing things right, and always harping back to these days where this minister, my favourite minister, this minister, normally the first person when they came to the church, that's the best minister. You know, like the minister where you first get set, like that one, they did it right. And so you feel this kind of attachment to the founding pastors, right? Some of us joined the church because Stephen Heather said, we're going to plant Trinity Church London. He thought, I mean, I thought, well, I'll join that church. Yeah, sure. And now they've gone. And you could think, well, Stephen Heather, they've like got an anointing and a ministry and the Z and what about today? And what can happen is if you're nostalgic about the past, you can miss out on God's blessing today. This is the I follow Paul group, always thinking back to previous experiences were just a little bit better. You match up the experiences, the emotions, like this feels like to that, no, that was better. This is the nostalgic bunch, I follow Paul, amen? I know it's none of you guys, so that's great. So we move on to the second group. The second group is this. This is the I follow Apollos group. And the attitude, I mean, Apollos was an amazing man. Let me just read you a description of Apollos from Acts 18. He was a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria. He came to Ephesus and get this. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. And then we're told in verse 26 that he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. I mean, this guy, like if you're a preacher, this is the guy that you don't want to be standing next to. He's eloquent, we're told. So you get like the eloquence of T.D. Jakes. Ever heard T.D. Jakes preach? It's like just pure poetry flowing from the pulpit. And then he's competent in the scriptures as well. So you've got like the intellect of Tim Keller with this eloquence. And he's fervent in spirit, like Francis Chan. You ever heard Francis Chan speak? He's like literally going to explode with passion. And he's preaching boldly. Put all of these together and you get Apollos. If he had a YouTube channel, it would be exploding, you know? And so, this, this, now, I, now I know, I know, I know, I know that many of you listen to preachers that aren't me. Because I listen to lots of preachers who aren't me. I know on a Monday morning, you're downloading other people's preaching to listen to them. Because there are amazing preachers out there. There are amazing communicators. There are amazing ministries that will declare truth and help you and edify you. What was going on in the church? He was saying, Apollos, this is my guy because he's bold. He stands up for the truth in the way that I like it to be declared. They're saying, this is my guy. Others, I would imagine, were saying, do you know what? I like this preacher over here because they say it like this. And that guy is so angry and loud. And this guy is like, he just sounds inviting and warm and welcoming. And we've all got these like personality traits that like different preachers, right? But what was happening is this group who said, Apollos, not only is he a good preacher, but they're saying, this is the way to do ministry. And if you don't do it like this or sound like this, then it's not actually correct. It's the danger where we take on podcasts or ministries or preachers and we think this is how it should be done. And I look down on other people who are doing ministry as though it's slightly inferior. 
It's a danger that some churches fall into. Like you join a church and you're here long enough and you think this is like the way to do church. And if a church does it slightly differently down the road, you can like look down at them and think, oh, that's not very good. They don't do it like us. It's that kind of, I'm with this person because they're really good. Or I'm with this ministry because they're really, and you think, oh, you, you like those kind of podcasts. You, yeah, all right, I know, all right. I'm with this podcast. You know what I mean? Anyone with me? Oh, good. I'm glad that it's no one in this church as well. That's really good. Okay. The third attitude is this. I follow CFAS. Now, this is an interesting one because it's not entirely clear what this group, this attitude reflects. But this is my guess. And you can assess whether you think it's right. CFAS was Peter. The, the Peter who preached at Pentecost maybe the first sermon of the church he saw three thousand people saved he was the first pastor of the church in jerusalem as it were the mother church of all churches that have ever emerged and jesus calls him cephas the rock way before dwayne johnson made it cool peter was the rock he even had his own nickname after what jesus gave him he was that tight with christ he lived with this nickname, Cephas. And I think there was probably some underlying attitude in the church was saying, we like Cephas because he represents something of the pure, authentic, true Christian expression. He was there at Pentecost. Like we're in Corinth, like this, this is not, I, if only I could get back to Jerusalem, get back to the pure days when it was just Peter and the church and the Holy Spirit. If we could just go back there then, and they're always harping after Peter because he represents something of the, the pure Christianity. And so they're just, so they might be in this church here, but they're always thinking, yeah, but it's not like really authentic, is it? Because look what's going on around us if we were really back in jerusalem with peter then it could be really powerful so it's a cephas attitude and then the last one is this which is a slightly strange one i follow christ which is a strange one because you think surely that's like a good thing i follow christ right i follow that's a good thing but i think what's going on here is that there are people in the church saying look i see the leadership of the church and I'm not really sure that I want to submit to this leadership. I, for myself, I only follow Jesus. It's this thing that sounds good, but actually is unwilling to join a, heart, a church, mind, body, heart, soul fully in, because actually I'm with Christ. It's the attitude that says, I don't like authority unless I'm the one who has the authority. But I don't really want people telling me what to do. I don't want things being structured around me. I want to be free. In London, I think it comes with this kind of flavour. It's like, I'll go to this YouTube for this stuff. I'll go to this Christian event because that makes me feel good there. I'll read that book. I'll go to that Sunday service. And I kind of cherry pick as and where I want to find my Christian life. But I will not give my mind my body my heart my life my prayers my relationship my money to a church because that means submitting myself to an imperfect body of people which 
We are, by the way, if you're new for the first time, welcome to an imperfect church. So it sounds great, right? And I think we all know some, some of that impulse. Like, it's not a natural thing for us to say, yeah, I'm, I'm in here. Like, I will submit into this place. I want to serve in this place. We always want to reserve something. It would be nice to say, I can follow Christ and just listen to podcasts, read my Bible and just float with wherever I want to be. That feels appealing to a lot of us, right? Mandy's smiling a lot there. <laughs> so I'm not calling you out, Mandy. Just one smiley face today. The interesting thing about this disunity is that it doesn't actually seem to start out there in the church. It seems to start in here with attitudes about people and personalities and gifts and ministries. I think often I used to think that most church splits were about theology, you know, arguing about the finer points of theology. Actually, when you look through church history, it's not about theology. It's just two people not getting along anymore personalities grating against each other putting a bit of theology on the top sometimes help make it feel like it's not personality but actually a lot of the time it's just like wow our relationships torn and we can't seem to get that back to together anymore so into all of this Paul is fighting for unity for almost the whole letter of 1 Corinthians is Paul fighting to be a united church around Jesus. So let me just say what his vision is for this unity and why he fights for it and just a last appeal and then we're going to close. It sounds like a long sermon. I hope it's not going to be so let's just see. Um, what is this unity that he's calling for? He says this, I appeal to you brothers, which for Paul when he says brothers there's a little asterisk very often it says brothers and sisters because for Paul that was a gender inclusive brothers and sisters they heard that we don't today it says brothers and sisters the whole church by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment so same judgment, same mind, be united, no divisions, agree. And when I first read that, I, I, I was like, does that actually sound attractive? Because my immediate thought is that sounds like, you know, you must all agree, no divisions. That's, that's what goes down. I read the Bible in weird ways. So it's like, E be in the same mind, have the same judgment. You know, like, I, I was like, gosh, that sounds very like processed everyone looking the same sounding the same kind of like no differences that's what it sounds like to me like everyone agree you disagree okay you're out disagree you're out you did it wrong you're out there's only one and a half people left in the church but it's united it's fine it's like that's what it can sound like but it, it's not that i mean i think we've all been to churches right where it feels like if you don't be a certain way you may not find your way into the life of the church anyone been sometimes they're the very cool churches you go there and you think i'm just not cool enough for this church like everyone is so well dressed like if i'm not cool i'm not sure i'm going to be sometimes it's the other way around there are some churches where if you don't tuck in your shirt if you don't wear a collar on a sunday then you feel like do i have a place in this church i'm not really sure 
sometimes there are churches when it's like white majority or black majority and you feel like if I come in this church as a white person do I or if I come into this church as a black person can I find a place in this church sometimes it can feel very highbrow sometimes it can feel so relaxed or you know there are all sorts of ways in which this is how you do it and if you're not exactly like us yeah we love you but you may not be welcomed here Paul's vision is not that at all Paul's vision is of a body that is the body of Christ he says this in 1 Corinthians 12 let me just flick it just a couple of verses this is Paul's vision of of church he says in, in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 12 he says for just as the body talking about us the body of Christ just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body though many are one body so it is with Christ for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body and then he highlights all these differences Jews and Greeks who would not get on necessarily in the city but in the church they were one slaves or free i mean we think about like middle class or working class as like a division or those who have a lot of money and those who don't have a lot of money but to have those who in this day own slaves coming to church and then those who were owned as a slave coming to the same church you get how radical this kind of vision of difference is in one body and then he says and all were made to drink of one spirit so paul's vision of church is that there is christ who is the head of the church and when we are baptized into the faith of jesus christ we get baptized into his body and all of us make up the different parts of this body you know if you look at your body like long enough any part of your body i don't know if you've ever done this like for like a weirdly long amount of time like even where you're weirded out and you think okay i'm weirding myself out now do you know like a body part looks begins to look strange have you ever done that like if you look at your foot for long enough am i the only one who's done this everyone's looking at me like you are weird i know you've done this at some point you're like look at your foot and you're like what is that thing on the end of my body it's like it's so weird no one all right fine thank you paula you look like a body is weird right and there are so many different parts to our body like digits hands nails like and you take the inner parts of our body kidneys livers hearts and then you get down to like the tiny cellular level with these protons and neutrons and mitochondria and white blood cells and red blood cells and all of this like diversity of our body and if you like just put like a kidney next to a liver next to a heart next to a big toe next to an ear and you think what do these different bits have if they were just like laid out on a big table like all these different what do these bits have to do with each other and yet paul's vision of church is that all these utterly diverse different members of a body come together and work together as one to make this glorious being who is made in the image of god this walking talking relating crying praying worshiping being that is a human amen, amen? that cannot be accomplished if we were all ears 
or all hearts or all wanted to be the eye or all wanted to be the mouth we only work together where some of us we're the weird toe some of us we're the weird ear some of us we're the nose some of us we're the pancreas all these different parts we bring our difference together to create something glorious in the body of Christ Jesus amen which means that this unity that Paul's fighting for is not a uniformity. Like you have to look like the leadership of this church. You don't. In fact, your difference is what makes us the body of Christ. If we were all trying to move towards this morphed, weird version of one person, we would cease to be a fully functioning body. But it's together with all of our gifts and differences and backgrounds and ethnicities, that we come together and if we bring ourselves and serve each other and not look to be served then we can arise as the body of Christ this is Paul's vision so why 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 does he want this kind of church um, he asked these three questions and I think Sometimes, you know, if someone asks a question, they're not always asking a question. You know that, like, if I ask my kids, what are you doing on the table? <laughs> I'm not asking them, like, what are you doing on the table? What motivated you to, you know, stand on the table? And I wasn't asking the inner intentions of their heart. I'm telling them, get off the table, right? When God goes to Adam and Eve and he says, where are you? He wasn't like, ooh, gonna play hide and seek today? No. <laughs> He was telling them, come out, I know you've broken my heart. So when Paul says this, and he asks these three questions in a row, which is a bit of a hint, if they're just asking questions, questions, you're like, hey, you're not asking a question, you're making a point here. He has these three questions, and he says this in verse 13. Firstly, he says, is Christ divided? And then he says, secondly, or were you baptized into the name of Paul? And thirdly, he says, sorry, Secondly, was Christ, was Paul crucified for you? And then thirdly, or were you baptised into the name of Paul? And with these questions, he's really driving at the theological foundation for our unity as a church. Why we need to fight for oneness. Why we need to fight for this unity that Paul is asking for. So let me just lay out these three things. Firstly, he says, is Christ divided? which the point he's making is no of course not Christ is one Paul tells us in Ephesians 4 there's one Lord there's one faith there's one baptism there's one God and Father over all who is in all and through all and for all so there is one Jesus Christ which means that there is only one body and sure we're split across the city and across the nations because of practicalities and relationships and a gathering together which is absolutely good and to be celebrated but we are one church so just because my left hand doesn't have very much to do with my right hand on a day-to-day -day basis doesn't mean that my left hand can say i don't need you right hand like the left hand is a much better way of viewing life than the right hand the right hand can't say to my left hand why because i am one it is impossible for us to be separated we are baptized into the person of christ 
So just because you feel like sometimes you're not really connecting or in the church does not mean that spiritually you are one with Christ. Our emotions very often betray us, right? You go through times when you're just exhausted, you're tired, some difficulties at work and you just feel more vulnerable. Anyone been there? And you just feel like, hey, I used to be fine and then suddenly these things become bigger in your heart and you feel like, oh, these, why is it all hurting so much at the moment? Doesn't mean that there's reality going on, just means that your heart is feeling things at the moment. Just because you feel like, ah, oh, my connect, we are one in Christ Jesus. It is a spiritual reality. When God the Father looks on us, he sees Christ and his body. I was thinking about the kidney thinking I wonder if the kidney ever gets like annoyed with the rest of the body that the kidney has to deal with urine all the time it's just where my mind was going I was like because the kidney does that right yeah thanks okay I was like wow sometimes I think roles in church can feel a bit like that why am I always the one doing this it doesn't feel like ah again I've got to serve on this again or like the knees are like I'm not I always feel like I'm holding the body up the whole time, like I'm taking a break. I don't want to feel like I'm propping the church up the whole time. People don't see me, talk about me very much, but I know I'm here, like making things happen all the time. You can, those kind of attitudes can creep in sometimes. You feel like, oh, am, I, am I one here? Am I? For some of us, like as we've gone on with the church, like I think our age, average age has gone down. And so if you're slightly older, you could feel like, hmm, is, have, I, have I got a place in this church? Will I have a place in this church? Because you feel like suddenly all these emotions, right, can creep, creep in. But Paul says we're one, so we act as one. Amen. The second thing he says is this. He says, was Paul crucified for you? Which obviously the answer to that is no. Christ was crucified so sure you have a, a, a pastor or a preacher or a podcast or a YouTube that you listen to that blesses you and strengthens you that's wonderful you should lean into that and go for it and learn yes there's this church that you attend and it's great and you learn and you grow and you're discipled there that's great or there's a book that you're reading and it's the best book that you've read since the Bible which you read this morning of course and then you're, you think hey, you've got to share this around but did any of these podcasts or preachers or churches die for you only Christ Jesus has been crucified for you so as good as these things are it is like a grain of sand compared to the Atlantic Ocean of the work of God that he did in Christ Jesus for you when he was crucified for you on that cross only Christ took your sin and penalty on himself on that cross only Christ loved you enough to die for you only Christ was worthy enough to take on all of the sin of the world on himself and be crucified only Christ has done that for us and so we are Christ's people we're not that podcast people or that church people we are Christ's people so underneath any affiliations any allegiances any identity markers that we have in our life there is an infinitely bigger one in Jesus Christ because he was crucified for us amen amen, amen. the third thing is this he says 
Was Paul crucified for you, sorry, thirdly, or were you baptised into the name of Paul? Which obviously the answer is no, we were baptised into Jesus Christ. They were kind of making out that who you were baptised by was like the most important thing. I was baptised by Paul, which is why he goes on this funny excursion. He says, I think he forgets, it's like some of the humanity of Paul comes out because he says, I thank God that I baptised none of you except Crispus and Gaius so that no one could say that you're baptised in my name because like, that's not important. The person who actually baptised you, yes, it was a special moment, but it's not ultimately important. And then he kind of remembers a bit embarrassingly because you can't like, delete and paste and copy, etc. Oh, yeah, I did baptise also the household of Stephanus. But beyond that, don't worry, I did not know whether I baptised anyone else. You can see his like, brain beginning to get like, oh my goodness, have I forgotten someone that I did baptise? But he's saying, it's not important who you were baptised into because we were baptised into Christ Jesus. And because of that, he says in, in chapter 3, he says this, let no one boast in other people for all things are yours whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future all are yours and you are Christ and Christ's is God's amen Amen. we have everything because of Christ which just pulls the rug underneath any allegiance or any emotional tie you have to a ministry or a preacher or to a church or any other identity marker in your life that you hold as important, there is a bigger thing and that's Jesus Christ. Amen. So this is why he is fighting for the unity of the church. And so I want to close and just talk about us, talk to us. And appeal to us, because that's what Paul does here. He says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, that all of you come together as one. Because I I think that we can sometimes think about this in terms of like, we're a united church because like no one's having stand-up rows on a Sunday I mean tick that's a good thing we don't want stand-up rows on a Sunday but that's like bare basics of unity I would suggest but I think we can view it like unity is an on or off thing it's like we have it or we don't have it but I think we know that you can be like with a group of people or like going to have dinner with your family and it can kind of look civil on the surface but underneath like be bristling with tension and strife and jealousy and arguments anyone but you don't see it on the surface why everyone went really quiet no one's owning up to that no 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 one's only but you see just because there aren't kind of rows in a church doesn't mean that there aren't depths of harmony to walk into right sometimes some of the best friendships that we have the years and years go by there's a a deeper and deeper harmony that you can enjoy in the good marriages that grow together there is a deeper and deeper harmony you think well there's no strife here doesn't mean there's not deeper togetherness and harmony to be had amen it's the same with the church just because we have something good here doesn't mean that there aren't depths of harmony and unity and blessing and service that we can yet walk into The body is alive to the things of God when all the different parts of the body are working properly and fully, right? 
we need every part of the body and if one part begins to like fail then the whole body begins to suffer so it could be possible to carry on as a church and live with potential that God has gifted us with in the church leave it as only potential to think okay there's all this potential here but we didn't tap into it because this was good enough we thought I want to suggest and appeal to us that there are depths of harmony and depths of unity to yet walk into as a church does that make sense there are there are places of joy and peace and togetherness and service of one another that we are still yet to enjoy and my appeal to us is that we don't settle for its kind of non-argument vil no no we don't want just to like not be having arguments we want to walk actively into the unity that god has gifted us right we want to be alive to the things of god we want the ears to be listening to the things of god we want the mouth to be bold and sharing it with each other we want the nervous system to be firing on all cylinders so that we can be alive to the things of god the tongue to taste and see that the lord is good for us all the body parts of christ's body to come together and say i have a part to play here let me serve the church so there are so many different ways there are so many gifts that are part of the church and I think there are still depth for us to walk into to see the church grow and mature in this season. I don't know all that that means. I don't know how we can do that, but I know that there are gifts here and there's still potential that we need to try and tap into, to unlock, to see released, serving the church, edifying the body so that we might grow into it. There is ethnic diversity that we are yet to experience. This is not a white church, by the way, just because I'm white doesn't mean that we're a white majority church. You look around, it's just not the case. But we're not a black church either. And we're not an Asian church, we're Jesus' church. And in London, we have an amazing opportunity to reflect something of the kingdom of God. I'm not saying it will be easy to see all the diverse cultures and ethnicities reflected and giving God praise and seeing the full expression of that. But I want to go on a journey together as a community to say, what would it mean to walk into further steps of harmony where all of us together are expressing our cultures and ethnicities? Amen. I know it's a passion of the church. There are gender differences that some of us are talking about that's really important for us to talk about men are made different to women and women are made different to men we're called to complement one another and that's the men complement the women and the women complement the men together i think there's steps of harmony and unity that we still need to walk into to experience the fullness of what it means to be the body of christ together man and woman serving god so that we might display his glory one of our challenges is going to be in our church there are people who have a lot of money and there are people who don't have very much money at all the issue in corinth and yet there is a place where we can walk together and be one i still think there's deeper harmony for us what would it be to be like the early church that no one was without need i don't know the answers to these things but i'm i guess i'm appealing to us could we go on a journey 
and actually go further and deeper into this unity that Paul calls us to. So that no one could say, ah, Trinity Church, that's great if, you know, for that kind of person or if it's great. Uh, wouldn't it be amazing if we confused people? If someone said, oh, yeah, I know that church. It's a bit like, oh, hang on. It's a, bit, it's a bit like that and that church. It's a bit like that church and that church. And if no one could really describe it because we were utterly like diverse and unique and different and serving as the body of Christ. Wouldn't that be amazing? So you come if you're trendy. You come if you tuck your shirt in. Uh, you come if you tuck your shirt in and that's trendy. I don't know these days. Who knows? Um, if you've got money, if you don't have money, if you're white, if you're black, if you're Asian, if you're looking for a job, if you have a job, we come because we're one. Amen? Amen.